with y'all. Um, really good. It's been a very long time since I've stood at the pulpit at Faith Presbyterian Church, and uh, it's, it's very, very good. It's a great blessing and an honor to be here uh, this morning. Um, and uh, before we turn and read uh, the passage that we have before us this morning, and I want to look, I want to read from um, John chapter 21. You've got both passages that I'm going to look at in the bulletin. Uh, it's the second of those that we're going to camp out on for most of the time. Uh, but before we do that, I just wanted to kind of introduce this story by way of saying um, <clears throat> a friend of mine up in Alabama uh, pointed out to me not too terribly long ago, he said, everybody loves a good testimony. Everybody loves that, you know, I was lost, but now I'm found kind of story. Um, and, you know, we, we, we always get on the edge of our seat and we love it. But, but for far too many of us, the story is not simply, I was lost, but now I'm found. But for many of us, it's, I was lost, and then I was found, and then I was lost again, and then I was found again. And it kind of goes like that. And so that is the story of Peter that I want to tell y'all this morning. I want us to look at this story because I love this story. This is a story I have wanted to tell from this pulpit in this church for a great many years now, and now I can. And I want to share this story with y'all this morning because this is a story that I have held on to. This is a story that has literally, literally saved my life. When I was at the darkest days in my life, and those darkest days in my life came after I walked out the doors of this church the last time and away from this pulpit the last time. And so most of y'all don't know anything about me. You don't know who I am. Uh, so for those of you who don't know me, I thought I might introduce myself to y'all the way I introduce myself in a certain secret society I'm a part of. It's an anonymous organization. <clears throat> And we say this, hi, I'm Austin, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Clearly, y'all aren't part of the same organization that I'm a part of. All right. Well, that said, I would invite everybody to stand for the reading of God's word. Our scripture reading this morning comes from John chapter 21. We're going to be looking at John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. This is the word of the Lord. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two of his other disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of the fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he'd removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits, 
dragging the net with fish. Then, as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples asked him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Thus far, this reading of God's holy word, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Please be seated. <clears throat> Sometimes in the Christian life, we feel really close to God. Haven't you ever had those great mountaintop experiences in your life and you felt like nothing could come between you and the Lord Jesus? Well, I don't know about you all, but in those times in my life, it seems like he is my most constant companion, my ever-present encourager. My closeness to him seems so Sure, so sound that I'm sure that nothing could ever damage that relationship. And I've seen some nods, so I imagine I'm not alone. And maybe particularly early in your relationship with the Lord, when you have that first blush of excitement when you come to find this Savior. But then there are other times in our lives where we feel very far from God. Maybe we do something wrong. Maybe we get overwhelmed at our constant sinfulness. Maybe it just seems we cannot do all the things that we have to do. And no matter how much we may have seemed to have improved over the years, it seems like there is always some sin struggle. There is always some seemingly insuperable problem that we have. Or maybe you just get cold in heart. But whatever it is, you get to a place where you feel very far from God. You may long for him. You may remember those days of what the Apostle John called your first love, when you had that, that great excitement. But then you think, maybe I'll never find that again. And whatever it is, 
We can get to a place where we feel like our failures and our sins keep us from God. It seems like he's withdrawn his presence from us, and we wonder if it will ever be fixed. Well, what I want us to look at this morning is this story that I love so much because it tells us about someone who went through this very same thing. Someone who I think is probably, arguably, the greatest failure in all of Scripture, namely Simon Peter. And I'd like us to look at this from a couple of different scenes before and after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and see what it is we can learn for our lives from that. So first of all, do you remember um, just after the Last Supper, Jesus told the disciples that all of them would forsake him that night. In Matthew 26, we read this. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it's written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Oh, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never stumble. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. He said that they would all stumble. Literally, they would all lose faith in him. They would all abandon him, he said. But Peter, right, true to form, what does Peter do? He doesn't believe it. And he tells Jesus so. He says, that he doesn't think that's going to happen. Because why? Because Peter and Jesus are so close. He would never do something like this. Nothing could induce Peter to deny Jesus. But then Jesus says, you're not just going to do it once, buddy. You're going to do it three times. But of course, Peter, he still doesn't believe it. He says, I would rather die than do that. But of course, Peter was wrong, wasn't he? And we see that in the first passage that's listed in your bulletin this morning, Luke 22, starting in the 54th verse. And you can flip there with me if you'd like to read along. <clears throat> Luke twenty-two fifty-four. Having arrested him, that is Jesus, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they'd kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as they sat by the fire, looked at him intently and said, This man was also with him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You are one of them. And Peter said, I am not. Then after about another hour, he had passed another, confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow was also with him, for he's a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you were saying. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord looked, turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he'd said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept. Bitterly. Now, as we come to this passage, the gospel author wants us to see how Peter's sins and failures build up and up and up. 
At the Last Supper, he denied he would ever stumble because of Jesus. But then in the garden, what does he do? He, he slept while Jesus sweated blood and was torn apart at the thought of the suffering that awaited him. Then Peter foolishly tries to defend Jesus and lops off the ear of that guard only to have Jesus tell him no and heal the guard. Now we find Peter slinking around in the shadows while Jesus is condemned and mocked. And finally, finally, Peter does precisely what Jesus had foretold and he denies Jesus three times before the rooster crowed twice. And you know, all of this is bad. At each point, Peter must have felt worse and worse and worse at himself. But what was surely the worst thing was that he was seemingly unable to stop failing Jesus. Surely he resolved to do better each time, right? But when the moment came, when it came time to do the right thing or not do it, his fear, his confusion, his inadequacy, whatever it is, comes to the fore again, gets the better of him, and he fails yet again. And that's bad. But the worst thing, the worst thing is what we see here in verses 60 through 62. This is the worst thing. I want you to look at this, particularly verse 61. Immediately, while Peter was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he'd said to him, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Do you catch that? Jesus looked at Peter. Just as the words were coming out of his mouth that last time, just as the rooster was crowing, Jesus turns and from way across that courtyard, their eyes met. Their eyes met as the words were coming out of his mouth. And you know what Peter must have felt and thought. Suddenly, Luke says, Jesus' words came back to Peter and all of his failure comes down on him like a ton of bricks. And I would imagine that all of his failures of that day came back to mind. That he, he was reminded of his proud and self-confident conversations with Jesus as they rang back in his ears, and all he could see was his own fear and or inadequacy, his complete and total failure. And Luke says that with all of that ringing in his mind, Peter breaks down in sobs and ran out of that place. Can you picture this scene? Can you Feel the pathos, the, the emotion, the agony that Peter must have felt. When I read this story, it strikes me how much like Peter I am. Doesn't it you? 
All of us go through this sort of thing in our walk with the Lord. If we're honest with ourselves, don't we have to admit that we blow it time and time again? And so often in our imaginations, doesn't it seem like Jesus must be angry with us? He must be so horribly disappointed in us because of this. I mean, how often have we all wept and lamented over our sins and grieved in our hearts over what terrible, terrible failures we've had? The hope you have, because that's one of the marks of a truly converted heart. And yet, like Peter, we run away from it. We run away from Jesus' presence. Why? Because we cannot bear to feel the weight of his gaze upon us when we finally see just how broken and weak we truly are. We can't stand it. We hate it. C.S. Lewis once described the suffering that Christians encounter in their lives as severe mercies. That's what Lewis called them, severe mercies. And sometimes our suffering in life comes because bad people do bad things to us. We're abused, rejected, mistreated, abandoned, we're beaten, we're assaulted. And sometimes, especially if you're Austin, sometimes that suffering comes because of our own poor decision making. But as Lewis said, the Lord allows such suffering to come as severe mercies. Though the process of learning the lesson is horrible, there is no greater lesson than to suffer from the realization that like St. Paul, you, you are the chief of sinners. When your sin catches up with you, or when you finally come to the realization that indeed you, you, yourself, the person in the mirror, you who have been so proud, so confident, so sure of yourself or your relationship with God or your goodness or whatever it is, when you come to the realization that you are precisely the sinful wretch that Scripture says that you are, in that existential moment, there is... No way to describe that. There are no words for that pain. There are no words for that shame. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. The gospel message tells us that that is not the end of the story. That is the beginning of the story. Peter's story and our story does not end in that courtyard. We know that that night Jesus was betrayed to the priests and the Pharisees and Pontius Pilate, and the next day he was crucified, dead, and buried. And three days later, when the women came and brought the news of the empty tomb to the disciples, Peter and John were so excited. They ran as fast as they could down there to that tomb to see what might have happened. And as they're running down there to that tomb, what do you think was in Peter's mind? I think that on the one hand, on the one hand, he's thinking, oh, could it be? 
Could he really be raised from the dead? Just like he said, could this really be true? And on the other side, oh no, oh no. My doubt, my denials, my despair, my failure. And of course, after that, Jesus appears to the disciples in the upper room and shows himself to them. And it's a scene of great amazement and joy and happiness. And you think, well, that must be the end of the story, right? Everybody's, everybody's going to be happy. But no, we see a completely different scene just a few days later. And that brings us to the passage that we read from John chapter 21. And as we look at that passage in John chapter 21, it's really, it's really interesting. I think that understanding this passage helps us understand our hearts. And I think that understanding this passage helps us understand the Lord's heart for hearts like ours. And the first thing that we see is that after the initial joy and excitement of the resurrection, it seems like Peter is not, now he's all melancholy. He's all, he's all bummed out. In verse 3 of our passage, John begins the story by telling us that, G- that Peter decides that he's going to go fishing. And, and if you think about it, you can see that he says this probably in a kind of a dejected way. You know, they're, they're all sitting around the campfire, and, and Peter's not talking. He's just sitting there. And then he pops up, and he's like, I'm going fishing. And he goes off, and he gets in the boat. And then everybody else goes with him. And then after this night of absolutely fruitless fishing, which think about this, he's a professional fisherman and he's been out there all night trying to fish to feel better about himself. And now guess what? He's a failure as a fisherman too. That just makes it that much worse. And just as they're about to give up, this man appears on the shore and he hollers at them to try again from the other side of the boat. And so they do. And then just as they're doing that, they're, they're laboring, you know, they're trying to drag this big old bag of, or a net of fish up in the boat, right? And what happens? John, he's like, guys, it's Jesus. And what does Peter do? Peter's like, oh, it's Jesus. And so he grabs his coat and he dives in the water. Now, I mean, he's bummed out 15 minutes ago, and now he's on top of the world, right? And so just as he acted on impulse to go and fish, now he jumps off the boat to go and see Jesus. He just had to get there before the boat did. Now, the boat's only about 300 feet from shore. But Peter is so eager, he puts his coat on and swims to shore. Now, just as an aside, a little bit of an aside, think about this. If you're, gonna, if you're out in a boat in the middle of Lake Ponch train, you're going to go for a swim, do you put your coat on? No, of course you don't. But Peter, he's just, ah! and he goes. He's so excited. But then just a little while later in verse 11, Peter decides to go and make himself useful. You ever do that when you're depressed? I'm going to go make myself useful. And so he goes all by himself, and decides to drag in about 300 or more pounds of fish all by himself 
over wet sand. Now, is it just me? Or does that seem like a kind of odd thing to do if you're so all fired up, excited to see somebody? Right? You're that excited? I mean, have you ever tried to drag something heavy over wet sand? Because it's not easy. It's tough. But I think the reason that he does this in verse 11 is because Peter's sense of failure and inadequacy had bubbled up to the surface again. You see, what's going on here is that Peter's guilt and shame and inadequacy was so overwhelming that every moment he spent with the risen Jesus was both agony and ecstasy at the same time. He loves Jesus so much, and seeing him alive and being with him was so wonderful. But every time he looked at Jesus and he saw those eyes, don't you know he was thinking about that moment in the courtyard? I would have been. And have you noticed that at this point in the story, Jesus still, I mean, it's been days, days, and Jesus still hasn't mentioned Peter's failures. So you have to ask yourself the question, why not? Right? I mean, because you know Peter's thinking about this all the time. And I'm sure that that was just that much more misery, too. You know, if I were Peter, I'd be sitting there thinking, well, well, surely Jesus hasn't mentioned this because he's waiting for the right time to throw me under the bus, to expose me as the imposter and the poser that I really am. And if you have ever felt overwhelming shame or guilt, then I, I know you felt that feeling. I know you know that. that. That absolute terror of the humiliation of your sin being known and exposed. And so here's Peter, back and forth, back and forth. Now he's too depressed to sit still. Now he's so excited to see Jesus, he acts like an idiot. Now he's so guilty, he starts some project that's far too big for him just so he can get his mind off the feelings of guilt and shame. But look at what happens in verses 15 through 19. And I want you to notice two important things here. First, as they're eating together, Jesus casually turns to Peter and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now just think how that sounded like an accusation. Right? Just think about that. Before, at the Last Supper, Peter said he loved him more than all of them. And then he went on to fail him more than all of them. But what do you say when you're in that situation? Right? He doesn't acknowledge his shame. Peter just says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus doesn't condemn him 
or accuse him, does he? He just looks at him and he says, feed my lambs. And next we see that Jesus answers or asks the exact same question again. And Peter, probably with tears welling up in his eyes, he says, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And all Jesus says is, tend my sheep. And finally, Jesus asks the third time, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And John tells us that Peter is grieved. And this is a, this is a powerful word in the Greek. It, it, it's not just that he's sad, you see. He's grieved. He's grieved. He's broken. He's weeping. I imagine that, that he begins to sob with sobs that make the sobs in the courtyard seem small. Just great, racking sobs. And as he's sobbing like that, he just chokes out his response. And through his tears, big, strong, impetuous Peter says... You know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Now, why did Jesus ask this three times and big, bring big, strong Peter to tears? Well, he does it three times because why? Because Peter denied him. Three times. You see, what's going on here is that Jesus does this in this way to show Peter that what he had done has been undone. You see, God allows us. He allows us to go through our brokenness, to go through our suffering. He allows us sometimes to run out to the end of our leashes in our sin, right? And he does that. Why? Is it to destroy us, to humiliate us, to, to leave us in the dirt? No. He lets us do that so that he, we can have that severe mercy of seeing how broken and miserable we truly are. He wants us to see, to really see just how much we need Jesus. It took me turning into a drunk to see it. It took me having a nervous breakdown to see it. I'll tell all of you if you ever want to know this whole horrible, sad, pathetic story. But it took all of that to bring me all the way to my knees for me to be able to see it. It took Peter denying Jesus three times to his face to see it. So what's the question then? What has it taken? Or what will it take for us all to see it? But see, we need to see it. Because we need to see that we truly are wretched, miserable, broken sinners. And why do we need to see that? Is it so we can just be whipped to death by the wrath of God? No, we need to see that for this reason. 
Because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But the good news isn't that Jesus just simply takes away the sin of the world. The good news that I want you all to know this morning, afternoon, is that he came into this world to take away your sin and your shame. That's the gospel message. Specifically, personally, individually, each of your sins, all of your sins. You see, Peter couldn't really understand that Jesus was all that he needed until Jesus was all that he had. Neither could I. But here's a beautiful thing. Once you see that, you can't unsee it. Once you see that, you can't unsee it. And the great thing, the great thing about the gospel is that Jesus says to each of us here, whatever it is that we have done, Whatever our guilt, whatever our shame, what he says to us is, it is finished. That is the last thing he said on the cross. It is finished. He has made an end of all of it. It's gone. Because he took it from us through his stripes and by his death. And not only... Did Jesus erase our sins on Calvary's tree? But he has also risen from the dead to prove that it is true. And he sits upon his throne to look at you every day and assure you of his love and his forgiveness. And all that you have to do is you have to say, I love you, Lord. And I'm sorry. Give me the grace not to do it again. And he stands there waiting to smile at you and to say that you aren't ruined. To say that you are his friend. And that now everything is fine. Everything's going to be okay. Now I said that there were two things I wanted you to see here. And the second thing I want you to notice here is that Jesus approached Peter, this, uh, he approached Peter each time as if it was the first. Each time he calls him Simon, son of John. He calls him by the name, catch this, he calls him by the name he went by before he got the nickname Peter. And you've got to catch that part because that's important, right? Because each time Jesus talks to Peter as if it's the first. Even, even with all that's happened, Jesus still loves and believes in Peter just as much after his failure and his stupidity as before the first time they ever became friends. And in verse 19, he brackets it by saying in the very end, follow me. Now, if you remember the first time they ever met, Jesus does the exact same thing we see here in John 21. In Luke 5, he has the miraculous catch of fish. Try again the other side, fellas. And then in Matthew chapter 4, he calls them and he says, come, follow me. So why is he doing this all over again? 
What's going on here? Well, what's going on here is that Jesus not only forgave Peter and recommissioned him, but what's going on here is a lesson for us to learn that Jesus loves us just as much today when we sin as when we first came to know Him. Each time you screw it up, each time you blow it and feel like the world's biggest failure, each time Jesus stands just as ready to welcome you home and to accept your simple prayers as He was that first time you ever felt His call on your heart. Every day with Jesus is a new day. Every day with Jesus, no matter how dark the night may have been, no matter how horrible the circumstances may have been, every morning dawns with the promise the same as that first Easter morning. And it dawns anew every time you ask Him for His forgiveness. And then just one last little thing to sneak in here before we bring it in for a close. Just as Jesus knew what Peter was going to do before he did it, when he predicted Jesus' denials, just like that, he knows what you're going to do. In fact, he knew what you were going to do when he hung on the cross for you. You don't know the things you're going to do, but he did way back then. In fact, he knew all of those things when he died in your place for those things. You see, this is a beautiful thing. Neither your sin nor mine is a surprise to God. You ever think about that? Other people, you know, somebody else might find out what you've done and they may gasp. <gasps> oh! Have you heard what they did? And sometimes you do something and you just sit there and you're like, and you're shocked and appalled at what you've done. But God isn't. God isn't. And just as Jesus watched Peter, even as he was in the midst of denying him, so he watches you and me and he sees our every sin. But you know what? Here's the thing. And this is where I'm landing it, for real. Peter was wrong. If he thought that that night in the courtyard, Jesus was looking on him with condemnation and judgment. Because Jesus doesn't do that for his people. See, in that night in the courtyard, when their eyes met, Jesus was actually looking at Peter with compassion and understanding because he knew full well that he was even then on his way to die for that sin, that specific sin, and for all the rest too. And what I want to leave you all with is this. I want you to know that the great hope of the gospel is that there is no condemnation for those who love God because Jesus has taken all of your punishment. All of it. 
That's why he said, it's finished. He's taken all of it. Jesus died for you and your sins. Even, or maybe most especially the one you wonder if he really could forgive you for. He died for that sin. Name it. Name it in your head. That sin. Jesus died for it. Your sins and your guilt and your shame went to the grave with him. And when he rose again, the sin and the guilt and the shame did not. There is no condemnation because the sin is dead and you and I live in Christ the risen Lord. And now having risen, he lives for you. He intercedes for you. He reigns for you. And he is always there with you to assure you that he loves you and he will restore you because you are not a failure when you are in Christ Jesus. Jesus restored Peter. No one ever betrayed Jesus like Peter betrayed Jesus. But Peter knew, or but Jesus knew what Peter would do in that courtyard. And knowing it, he still went to the cross for him. And he restored him. He recommissioned him and he returned him to usefulness. Jesus knew what I would do. He knew what you would do. And knowing that, just like for Peter, Jesus still went to the cross for you and for me and for all kinds of other people we don't know yet. And as St. Paul said, there is now no condemnation. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. And every day when you look into his eyes and you fear judgment and you fear condemnation and you fear the wrath of God, if you see that there, you are wrong. Because all that Jesus is doing is that he's looking at you and he's saying, do you love me? All you have to do is say, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And he will look at you day by day and he will say, feed my sheep and come, follow me. And that is good news. Amen. Can we pray? Father God, we thank you so much for all of the wonderful things that you have done for us in this beautiful, wonderful gospel message. Lord, I thank you for this place. I thank you for these people. I thank you for these brothers and sisters who have been faithful in this place. And I praise you for that. Lord, I ask that you would fill this place day by day, week by week, year by year with your grace, and that Many, many, many people who have not yet heard and felt the beautiful, wonderful gospel call in their life would hear this beautiful, wonderful gospel message that you have given to us as the pearl of great price and that they would join us in confessing you, Lord Jesus, as risen, reigning, and soon coming again 
I thank you, Lord. We thank you for this gospel. And may you bless these people, one and all, forever and ever, world without end. Amen and amen. Thank you.